0: That you're doing well this evening. If you have your uh, copy of God's Word, I invite you to go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to continue tonight to make our way through uh, the book of Romans. Uh, opened last week with uh, the opening sermon introducing uh, the book of Romans, and uh, tonight we're going to dive into more of it. So, Romans chapter 1 uh, will be in verse 8 through 15 this evening, considering. Paul's motivation for more. So if you're there, you found your place, stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. This is God's Word. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by mutual faith that both you of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And this concludes reading of God's word. We ask that he would bind his truth to our hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to consider your word together. We ask that in the moments to come, you would help us as we consider the truths that are contained in this text, that uh, those truths would change the way that we live. Because, Father, we know the only thing that is effective to change the hearts and minds of the people gathered here this evening is your word. And so we ask that you would work through your word we're also aware, Father, that we're not the only people who will be preaching your word tonight. Think of our friends at Graceway Baptist Church and the college ministry there and, and Zach Peel, who leads their college ministry. And then we also think of our friends at Second Baptist. And we ask that you would allow both of these churches, their uh, growth and uh, gospel influence to increase, that they would understand uh, the gospel even more clearly to have a greater effect on our city. So again, we ask that you would be with us in the moments to come. May you be glorified in all that is said and done. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Everyone loves a good motivational story. We love the, the thought of being driven on a quest for more. And, and whatever that might be, um, we love the ideas or the stories that come with it. You can think of great motivational sports movies, or you can think of great uh, historical movies as they're inspirational. One of my favorite real-life heroes that motivates me is Winston Churchill and his defense uh, during World War II against the Nazis. To be able to have the courage to face down Hitler in the midst of terrible pressure and consequence... Well, Christians honestly face a far greater foe, or a far worse enemy, we could say, than Churchill faced. And that's been since the beginning of time. And our greatest motivation as Christians should be the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Paul is motivated to do more of this. And this interesting uh, Thanksgiving section... Uh, Paul lays out his motivation for what moves him to do more for Christ. And and that's really what we're going to look at tonight. It's not a traditional uh, three-point sermon. I know you have your your sermon sheets there in front of you. We're going to have four things that we consider together this evening. And so I want us to start by seeing something that Paul is motivated by. And that first thing that Paul is motivated by is testimony. Look at verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. One of the strongest motivations for Paul to write to the Romans is their testimony. Remember, and this is what's important to remember as we make our way through the book of Romans, that Paul had no hand in planting the church at Rome. He does notice by their testimony that they're impacting the whole world. That's why he says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul's great desire is that they would continue to impact the world around them. In fact, Paul is hoping to get to Rome to launch into Spain from Rome. This idea that he would continue to press gospel advance in and throughout Rome and into Spain, and he's encouraging these believers that he is, in fact, motivated by their testimony. We think about launching out into the world around us. We are reminded of our motivation for work and our testimony, too, of the places that we've been in, the, the places that we hope to go. We think of our own college ministry and the places that we've gone as a church. We think of going to Barcelona, to Uruguay, to Haiti, to Mexico, the Ivory Coast, Myanmar, Peru, Guatemala, South Dakota, Omaha, Nebraska, but not even globally or even nationally. We want to think about our testimony in reaching our immediate context. We think of Springfield and Ozark, Nixa, Willard, all of those places we hope as a college ministry and as a church to impact with our testimony because ultimately it's our testimony that's driving us out to spread the gospel. We must be active in seeking to reach the whole world, but also passionate to reach our backyard as well. One of the things that concerns me the most about our college ministry is this idea that we would be more amped up, more excited, more enthralled to go across the world. That we would go to places like Uruguay and Barcelona. We would be pumped about going thousands of miles away to share the gospel. Yet when we're here, living in our own homes, we're not concerned at all about sharing Christ. So I would just stop at this point and ask you, what is your testimony? Have you truly come to know Christ? Non-Christian, maybe this is the first time you've sat in church. Do you understand that everyone who has put their faith and trust in Christ has a testimony, a story of how they came to saving faith? And I would just simply ask, if you do not have one, why not? Why have you not placed your faith and trust in Christ? Christ what is your testimony in and I'm going to use this word strategically your world look like in other words what does it look like would we visit your work and if I were to visit your work or some of your friends from your small group were to visit your work would the people there be shocked to learn that you're a Christ follower mainly maybe not even because of your lifestyle Not that you're living an open, open, unrepentant sin at work or you are living a crass lifestyle. But by your silence, they don't know that you're a Christ follower. I wonder, is your faith spoken of throughout your world? In other words, do people know, is there a testimony, a lifestyle that is marked by a passion for Jesus Christ? that he comes up often enough that there aren't people who you come into regular contact with that will be surprised to find out that you claim to be a Christ follower. follower. So first we see that the Apostle Paul is motivated by testimony of these believers. And then number two, we see that he's, motivated his motivation for more specifically with the Romans is he's motivated to encourage. Look at verse number nine. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. That you may be established. That is, that I may encourage together, may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul is in the constant habit of regularly praying for these believers. The the word for prayer here is the idea of pleading, and it's intended to communicate Paul's intense desire to be able to get to Rome. Paul is assaulting. Think of it this way. Paul is assaulting. Think of an assaulting attack on God's throne, Uh, with petitions to be able to go to Rome. He desires to be with them. He longs to be with them. But he doesn't long to be with them for merely hanging out or, or merely to spend time with them. He longs to be with them because his goal in going to Rome was to impart a spiritual gift to these Christians. I think sometimes our motivation to encourage people is more motivated by what we benefit by being around other people than it is by our genuine desire to encourage them in the Lord. That we would gather together here mainly for our own benefit or our own fellowship that isn't really centered around Christ but merely is a social club. Arkent Hughes notes that Paul is not sure what gift he might impart because he had not been to Rome. He simply wishes to enhance their spirituality. This begs the question, do we have a desire to enhance the spiritual well-being of the people that we go to church with? Think of tonight. You're here. Yes, we get it. You're here. Wonderful. We're excited that you're here. But are you here to enhance the spiritual well growth of other people think about sunday morning in small groups are, are you going to small groups because that's the expectation or are you going with expectation of how you might help other people grow the christian that lives in the west is assaulted constantly by the idea that church is all about them But if we were to examine the collective prayers of the Apostle Paul, we would do well to remember that church more often than not has very little to do with just us and everything to do with all of us collectively. And it's not just that Paul desires to encourage believers. He also desires to reap spiritual fruit with them. He goes from imparting a spiritual gift, verses 11 and 12, to verse 13, saying, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul doesn't just want to go to Rome in the sense of, spiritual fruit and encouraging believers, he also desires to go to Rome that he may reap spiritual fruit. What does it mean to reap spiritual fruit? He wants to see more people come to Christ. His motivation to encourage this body of believers is not just centered in their own spiritual encouragement, but by encouraging them by seeing other people come to know Christ. I think this is an area where we lack. Yes, we may be encouraging each other to read our Bibles more. We may be encouraging each other to pray more. But if we were to evaluate the health and well-being of our ministry in the light of the amount of people who are coming to know Christ, that is an area where we would be encouraged, but currently don't see much fruit. Paul understands that the conversion of unsaved people to Christ encourages a body of believers. And to that end, this is where we must press in and say, are we doing all that we can to see Christians, or Christians people come to be Christians in the context of our communities? So I'd ask you tonight, do you desire to see others built up in their faith? Do you have a genuine desire to see them grow in their knowledge of Christ? How much are you realistically investing in the people who are in your small group? And not investing with any sight of return. Not investing with any hope of, well, maybe if I invest in them, they'll invest in me. But genuinely reaching out to those around you making sure that they're growing. And then I would ask you this. When was the last time you intentionally planned to encourage another believer in the Lord? When was the last time you showed up at something or knew that during the day you would see someone who was a Christ follower and intentionally planned that I want to build them up in the Lord? And one of the primary ways that I can do that is by encouraging them to continue in some area of growth that I am seeing. Again, this means that we have to take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on other people, looking at how they might be able to grow, looking for areas where we might be able to encourage them instead of just caring about me and what I desire. And then the the final question I would ask here is, who are you intentionally, trying to reach for Christ. Some of you, if we were to go around the room and we asked you, who are your non-Christian friends that you're praying for right now, that they would understand Christ, you would say, David, I don't have any non-Christian friends. To know the greatest need of all of humanity and never make an effort to share it with other people is the height of hypocrisy. To say, I know how you can experience eternal life and never share it with anyone is the culmination of hypocrisy. To say, I know the way to God and not share him is the most unloving thing that we can do. So we have to ask ourselves tonight Who in my life and do I have a regular relationship with that doesn't know Christ and I'm trying to share Jesus with them. So we first see a motivation to and then a motivation by and now we bounce back to another motivation by. So think in terms of two motivations by and two motivations to. So number three tonight. Not only is Paul motivated by the testimony and not only is Paul, motivated to encourage. He's also, number three, motivated by calling. Look at verse 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. Paul makes it clear here that he is a debtor. And as a debtor, there are responsibilities that come with that debt. Some translations read or render the word debtor to mean under obligation. So what is this calling or obligation? Well, Paul, as a convert of Jesus Christ and called to gospel ministry as an apostle of Jesus, is under the obligation to proclaim the gospel. And the rest of the qualifiers make it clear who it needed to be claimed to. So Paul is under a motivation to proclaim Christ, to proclaim the gospel. This, this debtor, this debt that he is under, that he sits compelled by, is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And then he uses those qualifiers, Greek and barbarians, wise and unwise. Paul uses the terms Greeks and barbarians and wise and unwise to communicate that it was an all-encompassing message. It's an all-proclaiming message. This message doesn't go to some and not others. It's not like there's a select few people that need to hear this message. This is... No insider message. This isn't a secret club message for a select few, but for the world as a whole. Now, Christians understand that God will save some, or is in the process of saving some. Not everyone will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We know this from the text of Scripture, that Christ's death is a universal offer. But not everyone will believe in the offer. This is going to be something that's talked about at length in the book of Romans. And we will dive into. But suffice it to say tonight, when asked the question of who Paul must preach this gospel message to, Paul's answer would be a resounding everyone. Paul does not go around searching for those who would accept Christ, as if he had the knowledge of who would put their faith and trust in Christ. No, he simply knows that he is under the obligation of God to proclaim this message to everyone. Greek and barbarian, wise and unwise. Why? Because the gospel cuts across all divisions. There is not one human being on the face of the globe right now who does not need to hear the gospel message. There is not one people group. There's not one uh, sectarian gathering of people around an affinity. So you think of in the, uh, the divided world that we live in, especially in the West, there's not a political party, there's not a people group, there's not an organization, there isn't a group of people anywhere under the sun that does not need to hear the message of the gospel. Christians must take this message everywhere. That's the compulsion that Paul feels. He understands. He went from terrorist to Christ follower. A great question that was asked by a pastor preaching through the book of Romans was to ask this question. Do you believe your gospel is powerful enough to save a terrorist? Your answer to that question tonight is no, then you don't believe in the biblical gospel. There is no one outside of the reach of the saving grace of God. And for Christians to try and sit around in a room or sit around and try and have a discussion about who is in and who is out as if we are the final arbiters of who will trust in Christ is the height of foolishness. You want to know who you need to proclaim the gospel to? The answer to that question is every human being. So I'd ask you tonight, who has God called you to proclaim the gospel to around you. So this is very similar to the last point. Beloved, if there aren't people in our lives who don't know Jesus that we are regularly trying to share Christ with. And I understand. I understand. We're going to you're going to feel the pressure. You're in a long line, you're getting your coffee, you understand that everyone needs to hear the gospel. That is probably not the time where we want to jump into a 15-minute lecture on the sufficiency of Christ. But rather, we want to take those opportunities to begin to build relationships with the intentionality to go back, invite that person, get into conversations with them, and share the gospel. And I would just press this even a step further and ask, what effort are you making to share the gospel with those people that you're building relationships with. Sometimes we get trapped into thinking of our evangelistic efforts in uh, a lifestyle of evangelism, this idea that if I just live my life for Christ, people will naturally see that there's something different about me, and they will ask me, and then I will be invited to tell them about Christ. Beloved, there are plenty of nice people in the world that don't know Jesus Christ, that are moral people, in their outward actions to the people around them that never get asked what's different about them. We must be intentional not only to live for Christ, but to also speak for Christ. Meaning that, yes, we want our lives to be lived in accordance with the Scriptures and give us opportunities to preach and and make much of Christ, but we also need to be sensitive to the fact that inherent to the gospel message We'll talk about this in Romans chapter 10. How can they hear unless someone tells them? We cannot merely think that by living a life that is cleaned up or one that is seeking to, genuinely seeking to live for Christ is a sufficient gospel witness. The gospel must be proclaimed, must be spoken from the scriptures. That's why we use the Bible in our evangelism efforts. So I want to take people and point them to the scriptures because that is what will guide them to Christ. Not merely our actions, but our actions coupled with our consistent verbal witness. So finally, tonight, we think about all the different things that are motivated by or motivating the Apostle Paul as he's thinking about. Engaging the church at Rome, we, we saw first and foremost he's motivated by a testimony, the testimony of the Romans there. He's motivated to encourage the Romans. He's motivated by a calling to go, to share, to proclaim. And then finally, he's motivated to preach. It's a successive building argument that gets to this point. He is motivated to preach. Look at verse 15. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul makes it clear that his writing is motivated by a desire to preach the gospel to those in Rome. The, the way in which Paul writes is clear that he doesn't just have that first proclamation in mind. So we don't think of just an initial offering of the gospel or a first preaching moment, what he has in mind is building the Christians who are in Rome up to maturity. Paul didn't just want to see churches planted. So he's not on a a church planting campaign just trying to get little churches planted all over the then known world and then just leave them as if they're babies to kind of sort it out. For themselves. In fact, we could make the argument that all of his writing is intended to grow churches to full maturity. He writes to churches. Paul doesn't primarily write to people. Although he does, we think of Titus and Timothy and we think of Philemon. But Paul primarily is writing to churches, Corinth. Asia, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica. These are his main concern, to see them grow up to maturity. It's not enough just to get them off the ground. They've got to grow up into maturity. He wants to see every member built up in every way possible in Christ. And how does he see that strategy unfolding? It's through the clear Proclamation of God's Word. Beloved, make no mistake tonight. There are two primary means. Or we could say, better yet, we could clarify that and say, there is a primary vehicle for changing the world, and there's a primary way to drive that vehicle. The the consistent witness of Scripture is that the primary vehicle that God is using to change the world, is the local church. Not the parachurch organization, not the campus ministry organization, but the local church is the vehicle that God is using. Anything that is not the local church should come along and supplement as an addition, not a replacement. So if there is a primary vehicle that God is using, the primary way in which that vehicle is being driven is the preaching of the word. The pulpit drives the church. Someday you may find yourself looking for a new church to join. You may move from here, relocate. You're going to have to judge the church that you will join first and foremost and primarily on The preaching that takes place in that pulpit. I think I am under no obligation that you would merely come here for fellowship. And I hope you would never just come here for fellowship. And and dismiss preaching as if that's not a necessary component. It is the necessary component. It must be robust. It must be biblical. It must proclaim the truth of the gospel. And when it doesn't, it needs to be corrected. So the Apostle Paul is motivated to preach. To see people come to maturity. And it's kind of as if he's weaving this through. He's asking multiple times some of the same questions, just different ways. And that would be the question that I ask you tonight. Do you desire to see people come to maturity in Christ? Again, we're just going to constantly be reminded through the book of Romans... Get the eyes off of yourself and onto Christ. And when you get your eyes off of yourself and onto Christ, what that helps you to do is it allows your lenses through which you see life to look at people rightly and desire the right things for them, and then by extension the right thing for yourself. Do you desire the that your small group, the people in your small group, would come to maturity in Christ? What about your friends? Maybe they're not in your small group. Maybe through some unfortunate stroke of organizational um, identity or, or practice on the part of our college ministry, you're not in the same small group as your best friend. Do you desire to see that friend come to maturity in Christ? Those of you that are dating or want to date or would just like the opportunity to go on a date, do you desire to see that person come to maturity in Christ? Again, this is moving us from a self-centered understanding of what it means to follow Christ and motivated by a genuine desire to see other people come to maturity in Christ. Then I'll just ask you lastly, have you asked people to help you to reach maturity in Christ? It's one thing to be looking to do this in other people. It's another thing to ask and invite people to speak and to come into your life and and be able to say, I don't see you growing here. What would it look like tonight or sometime in the future to to get your friends together, maybe just a friend at a time, to get uh, the person that you're dating to go out, to, to enjoy a meal together, and to ask those people, what are the the two or three areas of my life where you think I'm lacking spiritual maturity? And then not be defensive. But to legitimately ask someone, where do you think that I could grow in my walk with Christ? You know, Paul here in this particular text has a deep desire to care for those that are around him. He's big hearted in the sense that the overflow of his heart is to see Christians grow. What would it look like in our college ministry, and even if we were to extend this to our church, if we were that intentional and caring for others to grow and to see some of my friends come to know Christ? I hope that's our desire. I, I hope and pray that we want to be that intentional and caring for others to grow. And to genuinely see some people come to know Christ. That we would be motivated more by Christ and more by his word and the glory that is due God than we are our own motivations for our own personal gain. Let's pray together this evening.